Hello, and welcome to The Friendship, the podcast where friends assign pop culture homework to each other. I'm Alex. And I'm Kate. The way this works is, every episode, one of us assigns a favorite book, movie, or TV show to the other. Then we discuss the assignment in podcast form. It's pretty simple. Just so you know, any and all plot points are up for discussion. So if you don't want spoilers for the episode's assignment, don't listen. Today I assigned Kate the first season of the CW's hour-long dramedy and telenovela parody, Jane the Virgin. Juana la Virgen. It is, in fact, based, I believe, on an actual telenovela. That's called Juana la Virgen. I'm not going to try to say that, because I'm real white. (laughs) (laughs) But that is what it is called. Not going to do it. I love the, like, telenovelas within... Jane the Virgin, because it's like just the level of like show within a show is amazing. You haven't even gotten to the second season yet, where Rogelio de la Vega stars in a telenovela version of what is essentially Quantum Leap. That's amazing. Where he travels through time and solves major historical problems, mostly by like betting attractive women. That is perfect. I love it. It's so good. (laughs) Oh, man. If you go on the wiki page for Jane the Virgin, there's, like, an entire separate wiki, like, corner subcategory that's just about the telenovela. And it's really complicated. It's almost as complicated as the plot of Jane the Virgin. Which is insane. I cannot handle it. Like, I could not tell you what actually happened for most of the show. I have no idea. I, like, looked up things in advance of this podcast to be like, what actually happened in season one? And I was like, oh shit, okay. Everything. (laughs) Everything happened. I know. We haven't even gotten to season two yet, Kate. (laughs) Oh, so much is happening. I do also want you to know, though, that in addition to the telenovelas within the show... Rogelio de la Vega's Twitter is real. What? It exists. Oh my god. You can follow him on Twitter. I need to do that. It's delightful. That sounds like an excellent use of my time. Oh, it is, for sure. <laughs> it's the best possible use of your time. Oh, man. He's, like, by and far, like by far the best thing about the show. Rogelio is amazing. He is my favorite character by leaps and bounds. Because he's the objectively just the best character on the show. He's so good. He's He's consistent, and I appreciate that. Yeah, there are some less consistent characters. (laughs) To say the least. Oh, man. Let's dive right on in. Let's talk a little bit about some some of the things we like about the show, some of the things maybe we don't like as much about the show. So, I do think that the show does a really awesome job about being, like... Hispanic friendly without being about them being Hispanic, if that makes any sense. Like, it doesn't feel like I'm watching an 80s sitcom where a network was like, look, we put brown people on TV. We did it. And the whole show is about how they're brown. See, I feel like you can definitely speak to this much more than I can, as, as again, the whitest person who's ever lived. But, <laughs> but I, I agree with you. I think it's like, it's very clearly grounded in a specific sort of Latino, Latina experience, and specifically a, like, Miami-based Hispanic experience, and it's very grounded in that and in all those cultural signifiers without being like, hey guys, let's talk about how we're all super Hispanic. Let's just make a bunch of really awkward nacho puns, even though we're supposed to be Venezuelan. 
There you go. And I mean, when it does deal with issues, like, because it does deal with issues, I think, that are sort of specific to its community and its milieu. Like, there's the, the arc about, like, Alba being an illegal immigrant, which is really well done because it comes out of kind of that very, like, grounded cultural specificity. Yeah. As opposed to, like, just being, like... Let's have a random story about immigrants. Right. Right. Well, and, like, especially for, like, me personally, like, one of my best friends in high school was a Venezuelan immigrant whose family, like, overstayed their visa through, like, no real fault of their own. Mm -hmm. And just, like, the shit show that was them trying to live their lives as legal immigrants is, like, a real struggle. So I think they do a good job. And it's, like, things, like, in the episode when Alba goes to the hospital, and it's, like, you can't go to the hospital because, like, you might get deported if you go to the hospital. Or if you get pulled over for a traffic violation. Yeah. And you don't have a legal driver's license. The thing in the first season, right, there's is when they're going to do the lawsuit against Louisa, and, like, Alba flips out because she's, like, I don't want any courts involved because what if they find out? Right, Like, all of these complications that you don't necessarily necessarily think about but that because the show is like really well grounded in this community is great and by the way we should specify here that the when we talk about how well the show is grounded in this particular place and community and group of people like kate is speaking from experience i am of cuban descent and i grew up in miami in a very cuban part of town so even though this family is technically not like, 100% what my family experience was like, there's a lot to relate to here, and this uh, is which also I enjoy. not just random white people being like, wow, they did a really great job of, like, showing this thing I don't know anything about, <laughs> which is one of my pet peeves when it comes to people talking about The Wire, which is one of my favorite <laughs> TV shows, but it's, like, a bunch of, like, upper-middle-class white people sitting around and being like, wow, the show is, like, so accurate and, like, depicting... The lives of, like, all of these black people in inner-city Baltimore. And it's like, you don't know that. You have no idea. Stop it. Right. Yeah, no. It's a good It's a good time. I actually really like, in particular, the relationship dynamic between Alba, So, and Jane. Because how could you not? Because it's so great. Well, and even, like, at this level of um, speaking to, like, the intergenerational experience of Latin culture. I think there's, like, a lot of subtle things that I really like. Particularly that, like, Alba speaks mostly in Spanish for most of the show. I don't know that she ever speaks in English, really. Right. Except, like, very briefly when she's hanging out with, like, her priest friend played by Cheech Moran. Which is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, um, I think... Part of my problem with remembering when things happen that way is that when you are bilingual, you don't necessarily, like, a little flag doesn't necessarily go off when people are speaking one language or the other, because it all kind of comes into your head. So, like, I had to think about it before I was prepared to say that on the podcast, because I was like, wait, but does she speak English? No, I don't. But she really doesn't. I she don't spends think she most ever. of the show, and it's mostly captioned, but the captions are yeah. all lovely and actually accurate and... Can we talk about the way this show does, like, subtitles and on-screen text? Because it's, like, freaking phenomenal. It's so good! Yeah, (laughs) I think it does a really good job. Um, I watched some of these episodes uh, with my boyfriend, and it was fun that he laughed at the same time, if that makes any sense. Because obviously, like, I understand what she's saying in real time, but the fact that, like, it came across in the subtitles efficiently Mm -hmm. was kind of nice. Well, the subtitles are really great, and then just, like, the way that, like, it uses 
text from like the narrator and like chapter titles and tweets and text messages and things like that is it's just like really effective at getting these textual and digital forms of communication across in yeah. a way that like Sherlock is pretty good at and yes. I can't think of a lot of other examples. I think Sherlock is definitely the template in my yeah. mind for doing a good job of that and, and being clever about it. And it's similar in a number of ways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I love Alba. I love everything about her. Also, in particular, my favorite thing is the, the episode where, I don't remember, I think it's when Rogelio like stops by for the first time and, like, all of a sudden she goes from wearing, like, a muumu to wearing, like, an outfit. And, like, so I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, no, I wasn't dressed appropriately. And I'm like, that that's, like, a real abuelita thing that happens. I also really love that Alba, and I'm not even going to try to say it with the accent because I'll butcher it, but Alba and Zoe are, like, shippers on deck for, like, Raphael and Michael, like... <laughs> respectively yeah zoe is michael and alba is Raphael, right and it's amazing yeah yes no (laughs) and that's like exactly like that would happen to me um well and it's also like there's the there's a great little moment early on ish i don't even remember when because again so much plot but (laughs) but when like Raphael first shows up at their house and she starts speaking in spanish and he like answers back to her in spanish and after you've seen interactions where michael is there and he only speaks English because as you have said before outside of this podcast Jane found the one white guy in Miami she did and even then his last name is still Cordero which is like still so yeah I don't yeah and actually that's something that I was like kind of back on the original thread I was thinking about um Alba speaks Spanish yeah so speaks English and Spanish like she'll go back and like she'll code switch a lot between the two And then Jane speaks mostly in English. But the fact that they all speak different levels and amounts of English and Spanish and understand each other, I think, is a great reflection of, like, what it's like to sit in my house, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Um, Because I'm the person that kind of speaks both languages, I feel like, in in my family. But that's because Miami's a weird place and you can't actually speak a lot of Spanish, even as, like, a little further down the immigration (laughs) chain um, than most places. But, you know, I had a lot of friends in high school and stuff that, like, I'm sure my kids won't speak Spanish very fluently, and they may understand it. So kind of seeing that dynamic is fun, too, of just, you know, what it's like to sit in your house. And I have a bad habit of forgetting when my parents switch into Spanish, and then I'm sitting with someone who doesn't understand Spanish, and I'll, like, be really good about translating for, like, the first five minutes. And then at some point, I will forget that the language being spoken to me is one that the person next to me doesn't understand, and I'll just stop translating. And then they'll just, like, I won't notice until there's a joke, and everyone laughs except that one friend. And then I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot to translate all of that for you. (laughs) I'll keep this in mind if I ever meet your your family. family. (laughs) Super ridiculous Cuban family. Yes. But yeah, so it's a lot of fun. Um... And I like so more than I was expecting to as a character. You're just biased against her because of her name. Yeah, my my stepmother, who I didn't like so much, was named Siamata. Former stepmother. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little biased. But I think it was it was fun to kind of and even like the super Catholicism too. That's like something I can deeply relate I, to. One of my favorite moments between So and Alba. I think their relationship is like fantastic and it's really layered and it's really complex and it's not just like super straightforward. It's not this kind of just like, oh, we're all like, you know, 
these women and let's hug and like we're all on the same page all the time like they all have very different kind of goals and different priorities and Mm -hmm. different ways of thinking about the world and there's a really really great scene that I'm fairly certain is in the first season (laughs) where so finally flips out at Alba over like Alba's insistence on like the importance of purity and like staying a virgin until marriage and she's like no this is how, like, you fucked up my life by doing this. And, like, you have spent my entire life making me feel guilty because I like sex. And, like, that's not okay. Right. Yeah. It's a total cultural shift that happens yeah. over time. And that I think is related to age and culture and all kinds of other things. So it's it's fun to see. Well, and I think it's really, that particular relationship, too, I think is really interesting in that it's not like there's ever really a question that they don't care about each other. Like, right. I think a lot of sort of darker, more like overtly prestige dramas would play that as like this huge rift. Right. That, like they're never going to get past, but it's not like that. It's like, it's definitely an issue and it's definitely something they're both really aware of and they're both trying to work on, but there's never really a question that like, they're not going to love each other. Right. <laughs> like it's much more like a real family and yeah. that, you know, you can fight with your parents as much as you possibly can about your differing views but at the end of the day you're still gonna like hug them good night or whatever yeah yeah i um i do think jane is interesting because you kind of see her trying to make sense out of trying to kind of meld both their worldviews with varying levels of success and she definitely i think there's there's more of this in season two but there's definitely moments where she reacts back against a lot of Zoe's behavior as well, which is really interesting to yeah. see. Well, and like, and, yeah. spe- and like, talks about specifically how she like she's doing this because it's not she's doing various things because it's not what Zoe would do. Right. Well, and like even the general premise of the show, right, yeah. is that the reason she is Jane the Virgin is that she doesn't want to what she feels like repeat the mistake of her mom of yeah. having a kid really young. Which like that a lot of that subtext turns into like a lot of actual text in the second season to really just fantastic results. <laughs> <laughs> so I really I love the relationship between the three of them. And then when Rogelio gets thrown into the mix, that's also just fantastic. <laughs> and I I love Rogelio and Zoe's relationship too. My I love like my love for Rogelio was solidified in the scene where he shows up to her wedding like bridal appointment jane's bridal appointment where she's like in the wedding dress and he shows up in like this purple ridiculous like his like like, character from television general santos or whatever his name is (laughs) i think he's supposed to be president president. yeah santos yeah is it is the show is it pasiones de santos is that what it's called yeah i think so yeah and then his oh my god the second one though pasiones intergalacticas (laughs) intergalactic passion when he's like a space detective. <laughs> I swear, I don't, I know I didn't see the second season, but I feel like I saw, I think in one point they kind of established that that's a TV show and they're like flipping channels because I remember seeing something like that. And no, Passiones Intergalacticus is in the first season. Yeah. It's the second one where he, where he starts time traveling. Oh, okay. Cool. Which I'm not totally making that up. Also really great. Oh, man. I also, so like, it's also interesting... Petra's an interesting character to me. Petra is really fascinating to me, and Petra is very different in season two, so I'm interested to hear what you think about her in season one. (laughs) So, 
I think what's interesting about her, or the most interesting... So, obviously, this is a parody, right, of, of telenovelas. A lot of right? the... And soap opera tropes. Yeah. And, like, everything about Petra is a soap opera trope, and it's amazing. She's, like, the Eastern European... Villain. Like, icy, blonde... Sexy villain. Yeah, femme fatale type yeah. thing. And her mother, like, is in a wheelchair and but just around. And she sits around with <laughs> tarot cards and, like, the whole thing is... <laughs> It's like this whole gypsy pagan, like deep seated distrust of white people thing. It's crazy pants. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. And actually, in particular, it's funny um, coming from a Cuban background, just because, especially in Miami, there are a lot of Eastern European people because Cuba was communist. That makes a lot of so, sense. So there actually is it. like a pretty significant Eastern European community. In the Miami-Dade area. So it's, like, weirdly... Like, it might feel tacked on, but in a way it's kind of not, which I enjoy. That's, um, that's really interesting. I generally... I think Petra's really great. Petra also is very different in the second season, as I sure. mentioned. Like, yeah. she, she has a lot of character development that comes across as actual character development on, like, certain instances of people just, like, behaving really differently for no reason. Which I honestly think is primarily an issue for Michael and Raphael. Because oh my God, I in, can't. in order Ugh. to keep the love triangle going, which... And I I get more annoyed about this than I do about pretty much anything else that happens on Jane's show. Virgin. I think that that <laughs> is actually, like, if I had to say what my major problem with the show is, it's that, like... The problem with being a parody of a telenovela is that you have to achieve the insanity level of a telenovela. And by, like, episode five, I was already like, I am so done with this plot. I don't care anymore. Like, you you have to yeah. emotionally disengage or you're going to kill yourself watching the show. Or you're going to be like an abuela and yell at your grandchild <laughs> when she accidentally over-records her telenovela to record the Powerpuff Girls. This is it. a specific story. I was going to say, that has a ring of a real thing that happened to you. <laughs> so it's like, you don't want to be that addicted to a TV show. No, and I mean, the thing, one of the things that I think sometimes throws off individual episodes of this show for me is episodes where there's too much focus on the kind of, like, telenovela plot-churning antics. And yeah. less focus on the, like, actual really fascinating, like, very grounded relationships that are happening around them. Yeah, I And it's like, okay, like, I don't actually care about, like, who this drug lord is and, like, why, like, this drug lord is, like, trying to kill these people and what their plan is. Like, I really kind of want to hear more about, like, Jane's plans to co-parent with Michael. <laughs> like... Sin rostro. Like, that's... Oh, my God. <laughs> you, you know that means faceless in It means Spanish, without right? a face. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> she is also, though, the actress who plays her, whose name I am totally blanking on right now, like, had a banner couple years as, like, psychotic, like, antagonist in TV shows, because she's also, like, a, like... Russian assassin in the first season of Agent Carter. Because of course she is. Because <laughs> she just kind of has that look about her. <laughs> yeah. But I I do think that the telenovela parody aspect of the show sometimes just like stretches it to the point where I'm like, no, I don't actually remotely care about this. Yeah, like it kind of, it, it 
it really tests your ability to be emotionally invested. Yeah. It, like, stretches it a little, a little past. At least for me, like, I don't know that I will voluntarily watch the second season. <laughs> because I felt so, like, ugh, I can't even by the end of the first and season with how much, like, plot mechanic insanity there was. Oh my god, and it just, like... The, the thing about it is, like, the relationships and everything are so fascinating in the second season that I still think it's really worthwhile and it's a really great watch, but, like, the telenovela nonsense just continues. Can, right, right, I'm and sorry. it's kind of, like, at a certain point, you're just like, how many people can have, like, secret siblings that nobody knew about? Like, how <laughs> many people realistically have secret siblings that were kept from that? I mean, the whole point, right, is that nobody yeah. does, right? And, like... It is such a telenovela, yeah. like, plot bomb for that to happen. And, I mean, the show really, like, it parodies it and it lampshades it a lot. And, like, the the narrator, who's also phenomenal. I, I love, love him. The narrator. The Latin lover narrator. He is amazing. He's great. And, he, like, that sort of element of it goes a long way toward, I think, making some of those things palatable. Yes. And I do think to some extent some of the the real, like, the whole thing with, like, Sin Rostro and Sin Rostro's drug empire and all that can, I at least can compartmentalize it a bit. The thing I have a harder time with often is the love triangle aspect, just because Raphael and Michael tend to be so kind of inconsistently characterized Purely, it seems, a lot of the time because they need to, like, swing the love triangle in one direction or the other. So yeah. they'll just be like, oh, Raphael is being, like, awesome and really supportive and he's, like, helping Jane with all this stuff and whatever. But now he's, like, just gonna be an asshole for no reason because, like, the audience's sympathy needs to shift, shift back. To right. And then Michael's gonna do something weird and shitty and, like, it's gonna... Right. Yeah. I mean, that already, like, by, again, like, by episode six or seven, I feel like that happened several times, like, just even within, yeah. like, a couple episode span. I feel like there's a sort of stretch in the middle where, like, Jane is pretty, like, committedly with Raphael, which is, like, a little bit of a breather mm-hmm. from that. And there's, like, similar stretches in the second season where she's, like, very much, she's just like, no, I'm, like, with this one person. I won't spoil who it is. But, like, right. But, and which is nice, even though I'm, like, tend to be more of a Michael person than a Raphael person, just because, like, I love me an awkward white dude. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> Not everyone. There are many, many, many Raphael partisans out there. I'm and, sure. You know, when Justin Baldoni takes off his shirt, it's kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah I, see, I get that. I see where you're coming yeah, from. Uh-huh. Yes. Like, <laughs> this makes sense. But, but it's like, even when she's like, even though I tend to be more team Michael, I guess, like, when she's with Raphael, like, consistently for a stretch, it's kind of, it's, I was still, like, really on board with that because I was just, like, this is nice. Everybody's, like, behaving like a consistent person. Right. Right. <laughs> the moment. And I know that sometimes people do, in fact, do out-of-character things, but I think that it, at various points, like, just shifts so quickly that it seems... Because you whiplash a little bit. Well, yeah. it doesn't seem like it's motivated by really what the characters would actually do. It's motivated by, like, what needs to happen to right. move the show forward. Whereas, I think the, the contrast to that is, like, the relationship between Jane and Zoe and Alba is very much grounded in, like, alright, these are these characters, and, like, this is how they relate to each other based on, like 
their histories and their values and like their goals and so their relationships with each other at any given time are very much going to be based in that which is one reason I find those more compelling. Well and I think um, the conflicts there don't feel as orchestrated right like they feel more natural and you're also you know that the pendulum isn't going to swing that far one way or the other there's like that that kind of Place in the middle. There's where, a more stable baseline. Yeah, yeah. And, and I get that the whole point of the relationship between, like, that love triangle is that... It's a love triangle. It's supposed to be a love triangle. So you're, like, <laughs> not supposed to really be super invested one way or the other. But I kind of just end up, I think, or my you are supposed to be invested one way or the other, so you, like, tweet about it using, like, hashtag Team Michael or right. hashtag Team Raphael. But it's just, like, it makes it really hard to get invested when it's, like, well... For all I know, like, next episode, like, my preferred suitor is gonna just, like, do something really stupid. And <laughs> horrible, right. He's gonna take jello shots. Or let someone do jello... Doesn't, at some point, Raphael let... Or, I don't know if it's jello shots. Probably. But doesn't he get shots taken off of him, or... Probably, yeah. Does shots off of someone? That sounds about right, yeah. Clubbing uh, Or, like, Michael, like, just punches Raphael for, like... <laughs> Ginned up reasons. Ginned up conflict reasons. reasons. Yeah. yeah, and you're like, God damn it. Yeah, and it's, it's, it can seem very inorganic, which I think is sort of the tension that the show has, is that it has these, this very, like, heightened telenovela type thing going on, and obviously the love triangle is, is sort of akin to that. Right. And then it has this very, like, grounded, recognizable, like, human level story happening with Jane, and sometimes the balance is right and sometimes it's really not well like i really loved the like evil stepsister plot line of like rogelio's like previous wife's kids those two girls <laughs> but that's also i think great to some extent they're more recognizable because they're like bratty teenage girls fucking shit up and we what... all know at least one bratty teenager right? who fucks some shit up it's like it's dramatic and it provides conflict but it's not like my stepmother is, like, actually, like... A drug lord? Yeah, a drug lord <laughs> who can, like, change her face. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's a different level of stakes, I guess. My stepmother is not a member of the House of Black and White. Right? <laughs> and I think it's kind of, like, I tend to sort of... I agree with you that I'm much more invested in those more grounded stories, right? I'm much more invested in the lower stakes stories of, like, oh, does Jane, like, get into this grad school program she's applying to? Or, like, you know, how are, like, she and Raphael gonna, like, make their sort of setup work? And, like, she's worried that, like, their kid's gonna grow up too rich or something. Yeah, I don't know if that comes up in the first season, but it definitely comes up in the second season. That would make sense. And, or, you know, like, how is, like, Jane's relationship with Zoe after she finds out that Zoe knew who her father was and to like, tell her. Yeah, like yeah. those kinds of things that have like, you know, ostensibly lower stakes than the like people being murdered and shot in the face and pushed downstairs and, and trapped in closets. Yeah, whatever. But <laughs> like they actually have much higher emotional stakes for the viewer because you're much more invested in them because they're like they're happening to real people. In a, yeah, in a way that a lot of the other crazy stuff yeah. is not. I mean, I think it works occasionally when they intersect. Like, the, the whole Alba almost being deported because 
she, like, gets pushed down the stairs thing is set off by one of the ridiculous telenovela elements, which is, right. like, the paralyzed lady can actually walk. What? And, right. And there's a witness. Like, what? <laughs> right, right, right. But... That works because that then sort of pivots into the much more grounded human story. Right. Whereas a lot of times I think those sort of telenovela, like the drug ring stuff is happening kind of in its own universe and it's really easy to just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it feels Except to the on. point where you're like, Jane, why do you continue to work this hotel where people are being murdered like just every, all the time? Every week. <laughs> I feel like this is not a pervasive Miami problem. Not like, a I feel safe like working environment. <laughs> Get a new job. <laughs> there are so many hospitality jobs in like, Miami, Jane. There's gotta, there's there are a, so many. I'm sure there's another hotel that is literally right next to the Marbella. Where that you, is just <laughs> as nice. Where you can go work and like you wouldn't have to worry about like just stumbling upon um, dead bodies. Crime scene. All the time. Or people pushing your grandmother down the fucking stairs. <laughs> it seems straightforward enough. Oh my god. I also really like that isn't the school called like the Lady of Sorrows or something yeah. like that? Because that that makes me happy. That's some that's some Catholic stuff right there. Yeah. Also the like Jane the Virgin coins that gets kinda out of out of control. <laughs> that to me is another one of those. Like, I think we could turn it down on this one. <laughs> I don't need this in my life. <laughs> but yeah, I think those are those are a lot of my preferred first impressions. It's a it's a good time. All right. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have other questions for me? I don't know if I really have a lot of questions. Yeah, but it was a fun watch. It's definitely fun. It's definitely really engaging, I think. I think if I had not binge-watched it, like, I think if I had, like, actually watched it on a weekly basis, I might have enjoyed it more. I think it's definitely because of the sort of structure of it, right, and it tends to be really cliffhanger and stuff. It's like, I binge-watched season one and part of season two, and... I do think it's, like, it's a little easier to take in when you're watching it on a weekly basis, and as somebody who's watched my fair share of, like, very, like, soap, like, primetime soap type shows, like, in the past that have a lot of similar elements, I do think to some extent they work a lot better just on a week-to-week basis. Yeah. Like, because you watch an episode, and then it ends with something crazy, and you're just like, oh shit, what's gonna happen next? And you can kind of, you can appreciate the, the twistiness of it a little more, whereas... When you binge it, it's just like, oh my god, like, that Again. was, like, two minutes ago that... Right. I also think it makes some of the, the characterization swerves a little bit more plausible when you're watching it week to week, because it's not, like, this happened in half an hour. It happened right. or, over the course of a week. <laughs> yeah, and it feels like literally time has passed right in between yeah. one and the other. This is honestly one of my things with, like, I love binge-watching and I binge-watch a lot of TV, but I feel like all of my favorite TV shows with a couple possible exceptions are, or the TV shows that I think about the most and engage with the most tend to be stuff that I watch on a week-to-week basis, just because I think it really builds a lot more investment as, like, a viewer. I think that's definitely got some merit as an argument. And I think there are things that are better to watch binge, binge watch because they're kind of intended that way. Yeah. In a way that I don't, I think this is a show that you're supposed to tune in weekly for. And I will say that that tuning in weekly to the second half of season two, like, I, I didn't notice as many of these problems, and I don't know if it's that they were less pervasive, or just that because the way I was watching it made it easier to kind of glide past them that makes sense yeah but seriously i, I would watch the shit out of that telenovela 
that is like the subcontext of the other one because they're just on islands all the time. Oh my god, yeah. Like, what it's is like, happening? Everyone is always on islands, apparently. <laughs> or in a space. pirate. Why? Because it's, it's a telenovela no, game. <laughs> there are some really wacky telenovelas out there, that's fair. I mean, there are some pretty wacky soap operas, and from everything I've been given to understand, telenovelas tend to be wackier, so... <laughs> I I think the one that I have, like, flipped through and been like, what is this the most often in, like, the recent, recent years is, like, a period piece one that takes place in, like turkey or something in like a like a harem and it's so weird and every time I click through it I'm like I'll find myself watching it for like a minute and then I'm like wait but I don't care and then I (laughs) change the channel but like that's kind of my assessment of telenovelas as a whole I do honestly sometimes feel like it would be really fun to write like a soap opera telenovela because you can just like you come up with something and you just throw it out there just go and if it sticks to the wall you get to do it and you can also just like excuse a lot of stuff you're like oh this actor left this guy is the same character but like his face is different now and like that's fine and people are just like yeah that's cool that makes a lot of sense and actually something I do like about um the whole like the fact that Rogelio actually is like an actor in a soap opera yeah is that um the national headquarters like the main station for um Univision actually is in Miami like where where else would it be (laughs) right no right so like there actually are like those movie lot like that kind of thing does actually exist in certain parts of Miami so like it's actually really easy to be like, yeah, that sounds about right. That seems like a thing that would happen. Well, and I think it's it's fun, too, right? Because Rogelio being in actual deadly novellas allows for them to do some of that. Him and the Latin Lover narrator allows for them to do some lampshading of, like, some of the tropes that yeah. they're doing, right? Where you'll have, like one of the writers on the show be like, oh my god, like, another evil twin? Like, <laughs> like dear lord, yeah. <laughs> and then, then, you know, ten minutes later, like, it'll be revealed that somebody has an evil twin. Right, right, yeah. That's that's true. There was definitely a, a telenovela that was, like, really popular with all my friends' grandparents when I was, like, an elementary school that was called El Clon, which just literally means, like, the clone, and it was about a clone. Oh, yeah. And it was literally a telenovela that was based exclusively, like, its foundational structure was based upon the evil twin trope, because that was the whole point of the show, is that it was, like, all these different clones of the same person just fucking with each other's lives. So it was, like, the telenovela version of Orphan Black. But not as cool. Like, nowhere near as cool. But yes. (laughs) And there's, like, one that came out recently that's, like, you know, they're on a ranch or something. There's one about a mariachi singing lady that I've watched a couple episodes of. Mostly to make sure I still remember how to understand Spanish. Like, any time that I'm like, wait, what if I forgot how to speak Spanish? I'll put a telenovela on for, like, ten minutes and be like, I think I'm good now. (laughs) And just, like, change the channel. It's especially funny when the telenovela wasn't even in English to begin, or in Spanish to begin with, because a lot of them are actually, like, Brazilian. So So they were in Portuguese, so they're, like, on top of being a ridiculous soap opera, it's a soap opera that's dubbed into Spanish, (laughs) so it's just, like, a whole other layer of ridiculous. So yeah, so I do think the show was fun in terms of just like revisiting or even just like the kitchen, like the kitchen of their house reminds me a lot of like 
the kitchens in these houses in Little Havana that are all, like, from the 50s, because they were all built in the 50s, and they kind of have that small, I don't know, there's just something about it that, like, makes sense to me that I really, I really enjoy. It brings me, it brings me back. The fact that it's always bright and sunny. It is, and everyone's always wearing ridiculous heels and white pants. That's, like, a total, that like, does, that's a real thing. That strikes me as very Miami. Yeah, well, if you wear heels, you don't walk as fast, you don't get as sweaty. Logical. Yeah. Pro tip. Don't walk fast. <laughs> When it's hot outside and you won't get sweaty. Or if you're Kate, don't walk fast at any time. Like, just walk as slowly as humanly possible in all situations so that your friends, like, are slowly being driven insane. But you won't get a sweaty. Okay, but (laughs) what if you don't live in a swamp? What if you live, I don't know, say, in Chicago, Illinois. Where it's cold. And it's, like, minus 20 out and you're still walking at the same speed. Everyone is slowly freezing to death around you. <laughs> and then that's just a typical day in Alex's life. <laughs> that's what you've described. I'm short, y'all. And I walk uh, real slow. She does. I also say y'all not because I'm from the South, but because there isn't a good like word for that in English. They're really... Honestly, I use y'all all the time because there really should be a plural you. There should. Also, I always wish that English has inclusive versus exclusive we. That would be nice. It would, like, really, I think, eliminate a lot of social awkwardness. It would. a lot of interactions. It would. English is a stupid language sometimes. It's true. All languages are stupid sometimes. They're not, like, drafted by somebody rational. That, yeah. And if they are, then we have bigger problems. Probably. That would be fun. Good time. All right. So do you do you have a team? Are you team Michael or team Raphael or no. just team like shut the fuck up about this love triangle? That I am team. Is it the baby's name Mateo? Mateo. I'm team Mateo. <laughs> I want whatever is best for baby Mateo. I really love that Rogelio immediately starts referring to Mateo as Matelio. Did he start doing that at the end of season one, or is I that a season two? I forgot about that. Thing? No, I think that's a thing. Matelio, because Rogelio just can't process that like she would not name her I'm child. pretty sure I'm pretty sure Rogelio is in there somewhere his it's like is, one of his names it is one of his names it's like he's Ma- a really long name Matteo Rogelio Gloriano Villa except there's another one in there Solano Villa Solano, so so her last there? name is Solano I think no her last name is Villa, Villa Villanueva Raphael's last name is Solano, Solano, which I think is how that sneaks in there somewhere. Yeah, well, because that, that, that is a thing. Like, you're, it's usually your, um, like, if you're a lady, it's usually your, um, or a kid, it's, like, your dad's last name and then your mom's last name Yeah, is usually how it goes. I'm pretty sure it's Matteo, Rogelio, Solano, Gloriano, Villanueva, but sure. I might be wrong on that. I, mean, I might have that out of order. <laughs> When I have to look at, like, a person's name that is from Spain, like, in my, like, job application life, I actually do get confused about the order of names regularly. Well, so I think like it's just a thing. Well, there's, like, five of them. It can be tricky. There's a lot. And usually you're only used to remembering two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a rough time. My name doesn't sound as cool when you do that, when you do the whole, like, adding everyone's last name together. Like, that's, it just doesn't work for me. That's because you're... you're half like pasty irish and... i am <laughs> it's, it's it's disappointing because it's like arom zaucha it doesn't it doesn't ring it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well as i would like i mean i think that we can all agree that like the ideal name is rogerio de la vega 
Yes. Although Jane Gloriana Villanueva is pretty great, too. De La Vega is the last name of the character in Zorro. There you go. So that's so that's cool. I think we should take a moment and you should just run me through some of the Miami-specific references that I definitely missed. I actually don't know that there were that like, many. The, the day when I was watching this and she chatted, Kate... Do you know who David Bisbal? And I was is? like, oh my god, David Bisbal. And I was like, so that's a yes. Yeah, yeah. There's that one, and then Paulina Rubio, I think, yeah. makes a cameo at some point. She does, yeah. We already talked about Cheech. Cheech. Uh, Cheech I think those are one. really the big ones. There, there weren't too many other, like, super... I mean, I would argue that the hotel that they're... The, Marbella is probably supposed to be the Fountain Blue. Like, if I had to make an educated decision, I'm really hoping that the Fountain Blue has fewer murders. <laughs> it does lower rate of murders per camera. But it's like it. I mean, it may not actually be, but it's definitely like there's a handful of hotels in Miami that are very much like that. If that makes sense. Cool. Um. So I think that is kind of a reference in itself. But no, I think it's a lot more subtle stuff like Abuela Mumus. That's, like, a real thing. Like, everybody has... And, like, I no longer, unfortunately, remember the name for it in Spanish because I couldn't figure it out, so I would just tell everyone it was a muumuu because that's, like, a thing people understand, and now I can't go back the other way, which is disappointing. But, you know, like, there's that whole thing, and, like, you know, the way they dress, the way they do their hair, like, there's a lot of subtle things that I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. The waitress outfit that Jane wears that is unlike any outfit that any waitress I've ever seen has ever worn. But it, like, that makes sense to me, for example. I'm like, that that seems consistent. Super Miami. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, there's a different, um, there's a different level of, of fancy that's expected of you in your day to day life. I really, I really like Petra's personal style. I really want the sheer just, like, number of high-waisted scalloped shorts that she has. She has a lot. I feel like they wouldn't look as good on me as they do on Yale Grove Glass, but, like, I really want them nonetheless. (laughs) I think they would work. I think you can do it. I feel like I would just continually look very disheveled. (laughs) No, I think that that's, you know, fashion is hard. Well, spoil... Cameo spoiler for season two. Season two features a cameo by Charo. Charo. Which is delightful. It is. And just announced, fresh off of the internet scoop machine, season three is going to feature a cameo by Gloria Estefan and her husband. Emilio. Who I did not realize was an important person, but who apparently is. He was really important for the sound machine. That's good to know. That was, that was like, her band that she was in. I feel like I knew that. Yeah. I feel like we should actually, like, the, the one cameo that this show thus far is missing is probably a Pitbull cameo. Um, yes. And I'm honestly kind of surprised that they could even keep Pitbull off Away. the set. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. I feel like, well, if there's ever an opportunity for him to just, like, capitalize on his personal brand, he is there. Like, it doesn't matter what you want him to do or what it is. He's like, I am here if you give me money. Maybe even if you don't. I kind of don't think Bud Light pays him. I kind of think he's like, yeah, I will just be in these commercials because I'm ridiculous. I can see that. Hashtag Mr. 305. Mr. 305 actually DJed Kate's middle school dance. It's a good time. <laughs> Life is hard. Kate's really from Miami. <laughs> this is a real thing. Miami is is a cool place. That's what I have to say about that. Oh. Woo woo. 
Can I also just take a moment to appreciate, we talked about sort of the bright colors and the sunlight and everything in the show. Yes. Can we talk about how, like, I love this show so much because you can actually see what is going on. Because I have been watching, like, Game of Thrones and Mr. Robot for too long, you guys. And I keep, like, I love this show because I can easily pick out, like, where the people are against the backgrounds because it's actually fucking brightly lit. It's, like, well lit. It's not, yeah. like, a dark room. It's I not tried like, watching an episode of game of thrones on my phone once and realized i couldn't do it because like my back screen like wasn't bright enough i always watch it on my laptop and there was like a scene in the last season it's like when brienne is leaving like river run i Uh think and it's like i think supposed to be this very poignant scene of like her and jamie like looking at each other and sort of being like will we ever see each other again but i don't actually know that because i couldn't see see it either (laughs) of their faces because it was so dark you are not Like, I love Jane the Virgin because I watch it, and I'm like, oh my god, look, they're in the sun. I can see them. Is it this hard to, like, shoot scenes in the sun, you guys? (laughs) Is it I know that, like, Game of Thrones is really dark and whatever, and it's, like, the Middle Ages, but it's like, no, sometimes the sun has to be out. (laughs) Or just, like, a a well-placed, like, mood light or something, just so you can see their faces or something. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it's not as atmospheric, but I'd really like to be able to, like, immediately tell which character I was looking at. (laughs) Instead of being like, is that John? To be fair, there are so many random characters on this show that I don't know that I know who all of them are. Yeah, but if they're all well lit, at least I'd be able to be like, oh, oh that's, that guy. <laughs> that's not John. As opposed to like sitting there and squinting at it and being like, wait, who are we watching? <laughs> that's true. It's very important. Prestige, drama, problems. Like, what? that's honestly like one of the things that I really like about that I really have enjoyed about watching Jane the Virgin and some of the other shows that I've been watching. And this has been coming up recently and like a lot of stuff I've been reading and listening to is just that prestige drama, like as it's sort of traditionally understood, is no longer a particularly interesting genre of television. And there's a lot of super interesting stuff happening in formats that are not prestige dramas. Yeah. So like, cause I would argue that like, of the best shows that I've seen this past year. Like, I love Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is amazing. And Game of Thrones for a fantasy show has a lot of very prestige drama trappings. But, like, many of my favorite shows I watched this year were not remotely that. They were half-hour comedies, or they were, like, Jane the Virgin, which is a ridiculous hour-long comedic drama with telenovela influences. Right. Or, spoiler alert for a future episode, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is my new obsession, Woo-hoo. which is an hour-long comedy musical that's fantastic. Or, like, Bojack Horseman, which is a half-hour animated sitcom about an anthropomorphic horse. <laughs> like, these right. are a lot of my favorite things I watched this year, and none of them were really, like, in the prestige drama area. Mode. Yeah. And the best prestige drama I've watched so far this year has been me binge-watching the first season of Deadwood. Yay! Which happened, like, over ten years ago. Yes, yes it did. Prestige drama might be played out. <laughs> I think it, well, I'm, I'm kind of good, I'm kind of good on that. I think I'm ready for, I've, I've never really been the sort of person that enjoys, I watch TV and film because I'm looking for something fun to do, not necessarily because I want to feel feels or think that hard. We have established this before with your terrible opinions about Doctor Who. <laughs> right. So based on that, I think that it'll, I'm looking forward to um, a light-hearted uh, cinematic and television universe to explore. It'll be nice. I mean, and I think the thing is, too, that like a lot of the shows I've been talking about, they get at a lot of sort of similar themes. 
right. to, like, prestige dramas, but they do it in a much more kind of, like, interesting and palatable way. Yes. That it's, like... Jane the Virgin is talking about, like, immigration policy, it's talking about, like, being a single parent, it's talking about, like, generational dynamics and families, but it's, like, doing it in a way that's very different from what you think of as, like, the types of shows that grapple with these sorts of issues, I think. Right, yeah, it's not as intense or, like, over, like, it's not hitting you over the head with it in the same way. Except for sometimes when drug lords are murdering everyone. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know. Burying people in cement. (laughs) Dear God. Yeah, that did happen. I forgot about that. But, like, honestly, even when Jane the Virgin is dark and violent, it's sort of so absurd that it's funny. Like... Yes, I agree with that. When Raphael's father got buried in cement, and it was kind of just like, that shit's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're not wrong. Or in, like, whatever episode is it, the first episode or the second episode where the guy gets, like, impaled on the ice sculpture. Oh, yeah. Like, that's just funny. (laughs) I realize he died, like, a really unpleasant death, probably, but it was really... It was kind of funny. It was funny. Yeah. Yeah. I I wouldn't disagree with that. Thanks for listening to The Friendship. I'm Kate, and you can find me on Twitter at HelloKate08. I'm Alex, and you can find me on Twitter at AlexTheParroted. You can subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. Our theme music is I Wanna Be Your Band. Well, I Wanna Be Your Man by The Lineup, not I Wanna Be Your Band. But you can check them out at thelineup.bandcamp.com. So next time we're gonna be talking about a, uh, we're basically gonna be doing a double feature, The Pink Panther and A Shot in the Dark. Woo! I am really, really, really excited. Inspector Clouseau is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> I think it will be a fun time. So, we hope that you'll tune in. (laughs) And check out Rogelio de la Vega's Twitter. Because that's an excellent use of your time.